Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in Acts chapter 19. Remember, there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts, so uh, we're about two weeks away from uh, being done uh, with the last full book of the New Testament. With that said, what we have here is um, um, somewhat more of the same, where, where Paul enters into a city um, and deals with some opposition, opposition, whatnot, and probably the most um, um, uh, one of the wilder stories regarding that is found whenever he goes to Ephesus. Nevertheless, starting in verse 1, uh, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the island country and came to Ephesus. And Paul's there. Paul will mention uh, uh, Apollos in Corinth. Remember in the first chapter, they were divided over who their favorite preacher was. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and all that. So imagine being uh, Corinth. Your, your first few pastors included the likes of the Apostle Paul, Apollos and the Apostle Peter. Can, can you imagine? Um, and they were still a mess, right? Sometimes it isn't about who is in leadership. But anyways, uh, Paul passed through a uh, country, came to Ephesus. Ephesus was, was a pretty major city. Uh, there he found some disciples. So um, the gospel has already come to Ephesus, it seems. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Uh, there's a lot of debate about this passage. How do we rightly understand it? Uh, let's just look at it in a simple in a simple way. What you have are people who, uh, like we met earlier, I believe Apollos was one of those um, that um, came to repentance under John the Baptist, but uh, per- but perhaps heard John's preaching, believed, moved uh, to to wherever they were, and never saw the coming of Jesus, or for whatever reason. So here you have within Ephesus, you you have uh, the, the the first parts of that people who understand repentance, understand grace, uh, are looking for the Messiah, and here comes Paul saying, uh, "Look, the Messiah has come." The challenge, the real theological challenge, is what do you do with the presence of tongues here? And my argument has been it it, it follows Acts one eight. We saw tongues in Jerusalem, hinted at in uh, Judea Samaria, um, and then here we see it when it goes to the Gentiles. Um, so um, I, I, I do think Acts 1a is the outline for the book, but also for other uh, attributes within the book, one of them being the coming of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that the Spirit hasn't come to the Gentiles. That's clear in the story of Cornelius. But um, here you have really what are Old Testament believers, essentially, uh, who rightly understand the preaching of John, the last of the Old Testament prophets, um, and they are given uh, these these gifts. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it is, it is a, a difficult passage. Well, from there, we get this uh, somewhat humorous story about the seven sons of Sceva. We won't look at all the details, but just some highlights here. Verse 11, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. This is similar to the story of the woman who um, had the issue of blood, who touches the robe of Jesus and, and is healed.
field. I think that's that's the parallel we 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 are to gather here. There's other stories like that in Acts where we're to see parallels between what Jesus did and what the apostles did. Um, but notice that um, people see in this. Um, uh, they want to mimic it. This is very much like Simon the Magician. Give us this gospel, or give me this gospel so that I can do magic like you can. Um, and so um, Simon the Magician was exhorted um, and, and criticized by the apostles. Well, the seven sons of Sceva are Jewish exorcists, and they essentially want the same thing. Uh, so what they do um, is they go around uh, to cast out spirits that say, I adjure you, this is at the end of verse 13, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Right, And then we get this, verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered him, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? Who are you? Now you see what Luke is doing in these stories is, he is with particularly Paul and Peter, who are the two main characters in the book, um, He's putting their ministry at the level of Christ. Not that they are like Christ in, in terms of their, their, their nature, but to say their ministry um, has the same impact and the same authority as Christ. This is important in our understanding of what the Bible is. Just because a passage of Scripture doesn't have red letters doesn't mean it's not inspired by God uh, or isn't, isn't equally inspired by God. And, and so I think that's what Luke is, is, is trying to show us, that, that the ministry of the apostles um, really does mirror the ministry of, of Jesus. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Um, and I think that's true literally, naked and wounded, also metaphorically. Um, shamed and embarrassed and everything else. Well, verse 18, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So what do we do with this? Well, this is not a defense of book burnings. Look, there, when you're reading the narratives, there's a difference between descriptive and prescriptive. Descriptive is saying, hey, this is what they did. They burned their books. Prescriptive is to say, because they burned their books, we got to burn books, right? This is, you know, burning old vinyl records back in the day, right? Like, like the companies aren't just going to make more. So, I mean, it, it just, it, it doesn't work on, for many reasons, right? Right now, there is a canceling of books on Amazon and, and it's not going to work. It may work for a time, but ultimately, uh, when you do that, it, 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 it turns back a, um, to hurt. Well, um, the reason Luke is showing us is to show us what repentance really looks like. Repentance is a breaking off of who you were. You are not that person anymore. So this is what Jesus would call is a cutting off the hand or the foot, is, is that you must sever yourself from these things. John the Baptist said essentially the, the same thing in his preaching in Matthew, I believe, chapter 3. So, being that they saw the seven sons of Sceva uh, go through what they did, a lot of people who have that in their closet, and they realize, look, look, if Christ is real and he is Savior, I, I can never go back to these things. So it would be just as good to get rid of them now. Right? And, and, and there is a real lesson there about repentance. Repentance is, isn't having Jesus, but hold on to, to my old lifestyle. 
um, you know, for nostalgic reasons, but rather is to say, I've got Jesus, I don't need anything else. And everything else pales in, in comparison. Well, from there, we see uh, Paul's ministry in Ephesus. A lot of people come to Christ, and it creates a lot of problems. Um, let me just note there at the end of verse 21, uh, Paul says, After I've been there, uh, he's wanting to go back to Jerusalem, uh, I must also see Rome. Uh, Paul's ultimate goal was to make it to the capital city. When you read the, the letter to, to the Romans, uh, which Paul probably wrote, in Ephesus, I, I believe. Now, don't quote me on that. Um, it's clear he wants to go to Rome. And he apologizes that he hasn't been to Rome yet. Um, a lot of things have kept him from Rome. In fact, when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be in chains. In fact, that is how he gets to Rome. He appeals his Roman citizenship, goes to, to Rome that way. But one of the reasons he wants to go to Rome is, is that that is the center of the Roman Empire, of course. But also, it is, it is a, a destination far to the west. It's not as far west as possible. There is some suggestion that Paul does indeed make it as far west as Spain, which is essentially the, the, as far west as you can go in the Roman Empire. Uh, there's some suggestion he, he did that. It's, it's a matter of, of debate. Uh, so here we see the first hint that he's wanting to go there. Verse 23, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Now there's that term again. Luke told us back in Antioch that uh, we were first called Christians. doesn't mean that everyone started to call us Christians, but Luke plays with these terms. Yes, sometimes he'll use the term Christian. Sometimes he'll use the term the way. I do like calling it the way. I, I think, I think that's, a, that's a neat term. Uh, verse 24, For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. This is going to be key. When the gospel comes, it will affect the local economy. Think about it. We just read the story of the seven sons of Sceva and how much it was 50,000 pieces of silver was burned up, gone. That's eh, going to have an impact on the, the economy. We've seen this here in America, right? The, a, a, a predominantly Christianized society. Uh, there is no such thing as a Christian nation, a Christian society, right? Be because conversion isn't isn't from top down, um, but it's a society that that is is heavily influenced by Judeo Christian ethic and 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 faith. Um, economically, looks very different than our current post Christian society. Very different. Uh, the things you buy and sell and purchase now would have never been tolerated before. Never. Um, so, so yeah, Christianity, uh, as any religion, uh, does affect the local economy. So when people are um, coming to faith and leaving behind um, paganism, the pagans are going to complain. They're going to throw a fit. And so here's a guy whose business is dependent on paganism. Verse 25, These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. So they formed a union, basically. And this union is going to bribe local politicians, right? This is, that's not a Republican-Democrat thing. This is me using modern terms to understand an ancient text. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but almost in all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded to turn away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Now, let me just pause there. Let me tell you something about false religion, um, including woke religion. I would say especially woke religion. Logic goes out the window. That's the problem with religion, is that it will err on the side of uh, its faith over rationality. Okay, So, uh, if you want an example right now, would, would be obviously the, the gender thing. 
uh, is, is kind of obvious. You can say DNA. And what you get back is you're a bigot. But hey, follow the science, right? Um, it's, it's, there's no rationality to it whatsoever. So what you have here, and the Bible actually mocks this sort of reasoning. You can read in Isaiah and other passages. Is, is they're going around saying, gosh, you believe it? We, uh, we cut wood and we spend hours carving it and we sell it at a ridiculous price because of high taxes in Ephesus. And uh, this guy, Paul, says here, look, there's no way that's a God. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't get what he's trying to say, right? And, and, and we look at that and say, well, of course it's not a divine being. It's a tree. It's a tree that you cut down, that you carved. What sort of divine being would let a little puny human like you cut it down and let it take a knife and carve you around? I mean, what, what, sort, of is, what sort of nonsense is that? We're dealing with this sort of nonsense now, aren't we? Where there is paganism and false religion, there is a lack of rationality. And we see that here. Uh, verse 27, there is danger not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Notice, his motivation is tradition and wealth. Tradition and wealth. Our identity is very much tied to tradition. This is the way I was raised. This is, this is a world that makes sense to me. Um, and, and, and we want to protect that world that, that we, feel, we feel safe in because it's what we've always known. So you see the tradition of their religion is under assault, but also their lifestyle, their wealth is under assault. And, and so this causes chaos. The gospel comes and, and, and deals with this. So what do they do is, is they turn to mob violence. Does any of this sound familiar? If only I could think of a great example of this let's say in the last 12 months, just to pull a time frame out of, out of my hat. And notice what they're saying here. They're saying, hashtag, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I think, I think that's worth, we should put it that way. Um, because what you're getting with hashtags now is essentially a catechism. The goal is to, is to summarize an entire world view in a short phrase. Here it is, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Everything is summarized in that same phrase. And so everyone is going to share on their local, on their Instagram accounts, and their Twitter accounts, and their Facebook accounts, and Snapchat, and TikTok, and all that sort of stuff. And what they're going to do is, is together, they're going to state this, and that's going to make them morally superior to these bigots called Christians. Hashtag great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And we can think of a dozen other similar uh, catechized phrases we use today. And if you go against that phrase, you go against the catechism, it means you're going against the religion and you're not welcome here. And this mob hashtag turns into mob violence that targets people of faith, that targets believers. Does any of this sound familiar? It should, if you've been watching the news over the last year. Verse 30, when Paul, I love this, when Paul wished to go in among the crowd. So you got this big crowd, right? And, and they, they, are, they are angry, right? I'm sure they're burning down um, local uh, businesses all in the name of freedom and peace. I have no doubt that is happening. And the media is there saying, bravo, way to destroy people's livelihoods in protection of your livelihood, of, of, of course. Um, and if you disagree with that, you're a bigot. So, but Paul is so brave, he wants to go out there in the middle of it and have a conversation. 
but the disciples say, no, no, I, I, I don't think we're, we're going to do that. Um, and so a guy comes out. Um, the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Notice, you cannot rationalize with people driven by hate. You cannot have a conversation by people who hate you, especially when they're stirred up in a mob like this. There's no rationality going on here. It's malice, hate, and fear. And a system that feeds this is not a system of justice. And we live in such a society on both the right and the left. I mean, I was reading this passage today, and I've read this passage a million times. I was reading it today, reading it now after 2020 and now into 2021, and it, it's, I almost feel like I, I'm living in Ephesus, don't you? It's incredible passage to read. Well, in the end, Paul has to escape Ephesus. But what you have is the church being planted in a city. And God does amazing things through them. Why does all this stuff matter? Yes, there's parallels and all that sort of stuff. Look, look, my argument is post-Christian America will look like pre-Christian Rome. It'd be very pagan. It'd be very violent. It'd be a place of injustice and corruption. It will be. We're seeing it already. But in that context, the church did just fine. And in that context, the church will do just fine. Do not choose fear. Choose faith. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow.